Hello everybody and welcome to Into the Prey, breaching the chaos of the church. Welcome to Monday mornings. Monday morning in the Frank's household that's slightly different today, I think. Um, we're back to work, we're back to a routine of labour, having had a, a much-needed extended period over the summer to um, recharge and recuperate and that kind of thing, and it's been an immense blessing. Doing that, we may speak more from that in the weeks ahead, but today, because Mondays would normally be a devotional session, of late, so I've been doing these devotional sessions, very short kind of 10, 15 minute things, and I hope that they are equally as helpful and encouraging as some of the other longer sessions that tend to be a bit more polemic in nature. God knows we need devotion and we need polemic. We need both inspiration and provocation. Today I want to just, something unusual happened this morning, which is that I woke up and received a text from outside of the UK somebody who's yet to let me know who they actually are. So if it's you listening, please do get back to me and let me know who you are. You know, when you get a text from somebody and you're not, you don't have their number in uh, your contacts list and you don't have a name and that kind of thing, so you're kind of shooting in the dark. But anyway, they wanted just to encourage encourage me, um, I think, and to let me know about a sermon from a a church in the south of England uh, in a place called Titchfield, which is near to Portsmouth, and a chap called Christopher um, Christopher Wickland or Chris Wickland, who, from from what I, from what I can tell, is a senior leader with along with his wife of a of a church there. And the person who texted me this morning was letting me know had you know had I seen this sermon and prior to that text, I'd never heard of. Titchfield, to be honest, or the, let alone the church or the people leading the church. And so because the nature of what was sent to me was prophetic and because it was prophetic relating to Great Britain as a whole, um, to be honest, that's part of what I could say about this. It's positive. You know, it's refreshing to hear a local church leader thinking nationally and, and being willing to engage with that and speak into that. Uh, in my Limited experience, I suppose. Uh, you know, I can when I've spoken to church leaders locally, most of them don't even want to think nationally. Um, so it was good. It was good from that point of view. But what I'll do in this session today is just respond. Well, I've responded. I've given a, uh, you know, I've responded with a comment on YouTube to the video. Um, I'll include the link to that video in the show notes of this podcast. So... What I recommend that you do is pause in a minute, pause this podcast, spend 38 minutes or so, I think it is, listening to what Chris has to say, and then come back and listen to my uh, discernment of this. And of course, this is what we do with prophetic content, isn't it? This is what the, the Bible teaches us to do, is to test or weigh what is being said, knowing that we see imperfectly... Um, and that goes for everybody, doesn't it? It goes for every single person that, that dares to think or speak in a prophetic way. Um, so what I want to do is respond to that with what with testing and weighing in mind. I think based on two main categories. Firstly, what is said, and secondly, what is not said. So listen to Chris's prophetic word for the great for the British Church recorded two weeks ago, and then come back to this podcast. And listen to what I have to say. Okay, well, thank you for coming back and listening. I'd be interested to hear comments, thoughts, reflections. Uh, 
I suppose both based on what Chris has shared, what he's brought as a as a word, as a prophetic word for the British church. And of course, in that sense, I'm obliged to respond. I'm not calling, um, I'm not saying that Chris is a false prophet. I suppose in one sense, time will only tell that. However, there are elements of, based on what I was saying a minute ago about both what is said and, and what is not said, that I, I don't recognise um, as being true or accurate um, in terms of what I think the church need to hear. Um, so let me let me respond just a few minutes with a few thoughts um, hanging off the comment that I put on YouTube. If you've just watched the YouTube video, you've probably seen my comment there. And um, so let me let me read the first paragraph of my comment. I'll take each kind of separate thought on its own and then respond as I can, best I can. Father, we do just pray now that as we weigh and sift, as we above all things seek to know what you really are saying to your people, that your word, your true voice would be heard by your sheep. We look to you now as the good shepherd and we willingly confess that without you we are lost. We need your help, we need your guidance, and we need your voice with great clarity. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so my first comment, paragraph of comment under Chris's uh, message. I've just said, you have to understand that there are many people during COVID who didn't return to, quote, church business as usual because their consciences had been conscripted away from the rot of compromise, not because they had failed a test. Of course, there will have been some who used it as an excuse, but it is very short-sighted to portray all in this way. Full stop. Okay, so let me interject. The The initial comment here is based on what I think is the, the principal litmus test at the minute in terms of what the Lord is saying to his people. And as I'm speaking to you now, as I'm recording this now, this is off the back of my having recorded um, and written an article entitled The Great Evangelical Disaster in light of Francis Schaeffer's work back in 1984, 1984-1985. I'm I'm responding to Chris's sermon, Chris's word to the church two weeks ago to the British church based on the fact that my conviction that I think is compellingly true, which is that we are engulfed, a capitulation, a capitulation of evangelicalism. You know, if you're a Man United fan at the minute, if you happen to love football and watch English football, you'll know that there is systemic decline within Manchester United Football Club. And it is difficult to watch if you're a fan. I'm not. I'm a Liverpool fan, so I quite enjoy it. Um, I enjoy at least looking at the faulty systems showing their true colours. I look at the the years of overspending. I look at the years um, of poor management and poor decisions and non-football people making football decisions, that kind of thing. I, I take... 
I take some sense of satisfaction from looking at that and thinking, okay, the, the, the systemic decline here is clear for all to see. And hopefully it will lead, and I mean this, hopefully it will lead to something more meaningful happening at that Manchester United football club so that so that there can be, once again, the old rivalries of Liverpool-Manchester United. I'm using a football analogy because that's one of the things I love in life and, you know, sometimes that helps, doesn't it? You know, the things that you love and understand, you know, the Lord will use those things to speak to you from. And so, but the phrase systemic decline is worth keeping in mind because that's what I've just, that was the first thing I wrote on in response to Chris's message, which is that he doesn't seem to understand that we are engulfed. And in my opinion, Chris would do, Chris, if you happen to be listening, this is not supposed to be uh, deconstructive. It's supposed to be quite the opposite. I hope that you would listen and, and, and read the post that I've written on Francis Schaeffer's 1984 book, The Great Evangelical Disaster, because where, you, where you're saying that those who haven't returned to church after COVID are those who are failing the test, in other words, if you haven't come back to church that has that in whatever shape or form that is, I'm trying to talk with nuance here because of course some people will have, for example, been able to return to churches who have radically radically changed. Um, who have prioritized repentance, that kind of thing since COVID. They may well be far and few between, but anyway, there is some nuance needed here. But generally speaking, and it's an overwhelming, engulfing um, generally speaking, to say that people who haven't gone back to church in the way that it was before, perhaps with the addition of some prophetic license and prophetic content, interpretation, attempt to respond to what we're seeing with our eyes, uh, somehow these people who haven't gone back to uh, are somehow failing the test that their hearts aren't right that they aren't is is i think at the core of the great evangelical disaster which is a wrong commentary on people versus the church and that if you've come to a place where you no longer can engage with the what i've called the rotten roots of compromise and on a conscience level, consciences that in good faith are submitted gladly and wholeheartedly to the leadership and lordship of the Lord Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. For those people who can't return to that place of compromise, of wrong priorities, of faulty, false doctrine, and I'll come to that in just a minute, to say that those people are failing the test is an example of, I think, saying something here prophetically that's wrong, but at the same time not saying the right thing, which is to say, what of all these high-caliber, high-quality people, for, for them to whom to live is Christ and to die is gain, whose hearts burn, like on the road to Emmaus, for the things of, of Jesus, what is it that's going on with people who can no longer, at a conscience level, engage or participate and to, so it's extremely short-sighted, that's my first comment, and I think that's a, a pivotal plumb line. I'm going to talk about a couple of plumb lines here, and this is one of them. Understanding that people who are in positions of local church leadership, 
who understand that people and say and proclaim even prophetically in the name of Jesus that people who can't engage with local church post covid anymore because of x y and z these these local church pastors who label that as being faulty as being disobedient as being rebellious as being non-biblical aren't listening and i think people who speak prophetically in this way like chris is whilst saying that are display are displaying a particular form of evangelical uh, blinkeredness that i think is extremely symptomatic of much more pervasive wider problems okay i'm not going to say as much on each of these paragraphs next one the major denominations not existing anymore is a stretch too far over the next 20 years i do see the major denominations emptying of faithful disciples so that a clear line of distinction will emerge between genuine christian discipleship and the counterfeit so this is a following thought in a way Chris is making out over the next uh I think he refers to 20 years a couple of times and I think 20 years is an interesting period of uh world and church history before us but Chris is making out as though that these these denominations are going to fall they're going to disappear and I think I think that's wrong I don't think that for example the church of England is going to go anywhere anytime soon but I do think or any of the other major denominations including of course Catholicism but i think within the next 20 years what you will see is an emptying of those establishments those institutions of faithful disciples that it would become increasingly incompatible with the holy spirit's refining disruptive work within each of us to remain within these delineated denominational ways of thinking that i think are profoundly idolatrous and you know I'm going to refer to that in just a moment. In fact, let me just jump to that comment now. My one of my other comments here is that God isn't happy with denominational division now. He hasn't been happy with that for centuries, arguably ever. This is a primary reason why the body of Christ are being called to repentance. So um again it's 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 a failure I think in this message to understand that denomination is not a neutral thing and it's not something that God is suddenly now unhappy with he has been unhappy with that hence the great evangelical disaster over decades and centuries this is not a post covid uh phenomenon next comment holiness and power where's the call to repentance guys literally within this message a 38 minute long message and literally i didn't hear one message mention of the people of god repenting i heard lots about people being uh the, the egypt that's within each of us being pulled out of us and that that sometimes is more grotesque than at other times but fundamentally we just need to have that removed from us and that revival is just around the corner well let me tell you we are engulfed in a great evangelical disaster and this doesn't require revival as much as it does historic repentance the plumb line this is a plumb line again another one of the radical leadership of the next 20 years that chris is referring to and so to bring this prophetic word that is signaling or somehow heralding a significant season change in in the british church without literally and forgive me if i've missed it without one reference to repentance there is something askew here there's something wide of the target 
Next one, God isn't happy. I've done that one, sorry. Next one, uh, Chris had said that two-thirds of the British church aren't going to exist. I'm not quite sure what he meant with that, so I've just put that as a comment with a question mark. Hopefully there'll be some clarity on that. I don't know. Um, does he mean that two-thirds of the British church aren't going to exist in the next 20 years or from the first day of autumn that he's prophesying? Um, another comment here, just finally, I discern a penchant for numbers stroke bums on seats despite talking against this notionally in passing. This is a cliche. Any church leader today that that bangs on about um, church growth as being you know, the, the important thing, of course, it's, it's, it's so obvious that that's not what God would ever prioritise. And yet it's possible, and I think this is what happens within this message that I'm responding to, is that there can be a notional uh, polemic against having some kind of uh, infatuation with numbers you can even speak ab- about it or against it explicitly, but still within the wider context of what you're saying, still reveal that actually when push comes to shove, you do think that numbers are important. You do think that that signals success. You do think that that's what God wants to do fundamentally and that that's why there's this emphasis on revival rather than a complete absence of anything to do with repentance. I've said publicly in the last six or eight months or so, you know, that God could conceivably lead the Great British, the Brit- Church of Great Britain, through repentance for the next forty years. Until church leaders today are willing to accept that actually we may never see revival, I think we're wide, significantly wide of what God is saying. Next comment, to suggest that underground house churches are headed towards eventually coming above ground again out of necessity of, quote, regular leadership, I think is extremely arrogant and patronising of house churches both in and out of Great Britain, thinking particularly outside of Great Britain in, in a part of the world that it would mean something to say, hey, I'm part of an underground church. You know, you've got underground churches in America and through the Western world that display their underground church in in literally in bright neon lights outside their so-called underground church. It's not an underground church. It's a church that has just used the underground church as a form of branding, as a form of logo. So for Chris to say that somehow in this next seasonal shift from the first day of autumn of this year, 2022, that somehow over the next two decades, you're going to see this proliferation of home churches, but at the same time, they'll eventually come to their senses and need to come above ground again because they'll need to resort to the old ways of leadership and the old evangelical disaster where somehow these strategic thinkers are the only people like Chris, presumably, or others like him in his relational network who, who will be able to sustain the kind of growth that God really wants, the kind of growth which is revival. It is profound British arrogance to say that home churches don't have sufficient leadership or structures to do what God wants to do among his people by his spirit. Can you not see that? And finally, this is, this is what I want to finish on here. Actually, there's two more things. This, this next one. I think what you say about a true and relevant radical message looking divisive, but is actually reconciliatory, is very true. This is perhaps, well, it is a positive comment based on what Chris is saying. What he said, his, his observation that true radical leadership of the days ahead and 
this is this is the subject of my book that I'm literally just about to go to the library and continue working on right now. Um, this is this is this is something that I think Chris is seeing and saying that's correct is that the the kind of radical leadership that is going to be required for the two decades ahead, if we have them, will be will be will be accused of being divisive when actually reconciliation is at its core. Okay, so those are my main comments. I want to just say. As a final comment, uh, the, looking at the website of, of this church and where this prophetic word, the soil from which this prophetic word is coming from, it would appear that the church is being led by senior pastors Chris and his wife and that they're both elders. So in other words, this church is in some shape or form egalitarian, meaning they don't recognise any distinct... Um, and, and I, get, I'm, I guess I'm treading here lightly because there could be something that I've missed or there could be some qualification that actually Chris doesn't think that el- female elders are okay, but they seem to be, that's what their website's saying, so that's all I can go on, that they hold to female elders being biblical. And I, I, I've, sent, I've sent a video that we did with Melvin Tinker's tribute in mind from last year um, to do with gender and until we get to grips with the future of the church being male in leadership which is the only way you can read the new testament and paul's instruction to the church unless you can show me something convincing that persuades me and many other fine people that women can be elders and that couples can be senior leaders as pastors and so on uh, we are what are we doing? We're flogging a dead horse is what we're doing in terms of speaking prophetically about the seasonal shift over the next 20 years and the future of the British church while we can't even submit to the basic commands of the Lord, his lordship through the Apostle Paul as regards to New Testament leadership. So we pray Maranatha. I pray Maranatha more today more than I ever have at the beginning of what is a new season, I think, for us working that kind of thing who knows what's around the corner for us personally for you listening for the church at large for the for the world for the country at large but i think this is wide of the mark